You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill. This week we take a planes, trains, and RVs road trip. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. And I'm Thomas Mariani in the driver's seat, go ahead and doing the mess around right here. And I'm Adam Thomas, and you play with your balls a lot. I didn't know my webcam was on, I gotta put that tape over <laughs> it, like they keep telling me to do. So, uh, Adam, uh, you know, even though uh, we're still currently stuck in quarantine... Uh, we decided yeah. to, you know, as a topic, as a form of escape, as it were, uh, we decided to do road trip movies as a topic for the latest double-edged double bill. Um, that, it's not depressing at all, seeing people drive. No, not at all. all oh, yeah. Country. Mm-hmm. Beautiful locales, awesome scenery. Go outside and stretch the old legs whenever they want. Don't have to wear a mask. Oh, fuck. But we're here to have fun on the yeah, double-edged double bill. Um, uh, but, you know, even despite the modern circumstances, a ro- good road trip movie is a lot of fun to watch when it's done well. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. I mean, and there's so many of them, and they can, you know, be a subgenre of almost any genre of film. Right. Usually we tend to see them as, like, the fun movies, especially, I think, National Lampoon's Vacation kind of cemented it as a comedic yes. genre for a long time. Yeah, that, Blues Brothers, you know, things like that, they were definitely sort of the groundwork that... I'd argue if you mention a road trip sort of movie, everybody instantly is going to think of comedy. Yeah, though you can get dramatic in certain places. Uh, sure, you know if you like your your easy riders. Mm-hmm. And there's and there's a lot of horror based road trip movies too. A lot of them. I'd argue one of our choices tonight is close closer to horror than it is comedy. Well, that's true. Yeah, it's it's a nightmare of an experience to watch. If you're new to the show, uh, every week Adam and I, uh, at the end of the episode, pick two movies for a good and a bad portion of our double feature that we cover on the following episode. So we did that last week. Adam had two bad choices, and I had two good choices. So we're going to talk about the bad feature first, which is the 2006 comedy classic RV, and uh, the. Good pick is going to be after that, which will be Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, uh, which was my pick. Which is an actual classic. Yeah. Not like the not like how you just said it, you fucking liar. <laughs> are, are, are you assuming that was sarcastic and wasn't 100% genuine? I don't think you have that bone in your body. And that's true. I'm, I'm pretty flimsy. Hey, it's a me, a Thomas. I'm a serious about everything. <laughs> yes, I'm a dissertation on a cinema. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, let's stop having fun and talk about our bad feature, right, yeah. RV. You know what you say when you take an RV trip? RV camps. You folks want to join us for breakfast? We'd love to. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Somebody's right. Try to remember, we're not friendly. Good news. I'm adopted. Good one. You're just determined to have a bad time, aren't you? Not me. I embrace every challenge. 
You have no idea what you're doing. Damn straight. So RV, uh, this uh, came out in 2006, April 28th, 2006, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, who we've covered a lot of movies from on our show. Uh, We covered the original Men in Black, which he directed, and Get Shorty previously as well. Also, this is the third Robin Williams movie in the last ten episodes for a bad pick. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to officially say that next time we do a Robin Williams movie, it's going to be a good one. I think he deserves that. Uh, It all depends. (laughs) <laughs> it all depends on the subject matter. But but yeah, so RV is uh, one of many Robin Williams films that he did around sort of this uh, start of the new millennium uh, that was a bad family film. And I kind of said this at the end of our last episode, but this is noteworthy. Uh, this is one of the few movies I ever walked out of back when we had theaters. God, um, I don't blame you. Jesus. I walked out specifically, it's about 30 minutes in is when we have the septic tank sequence. Yeah. And I remember, and keep in mind, I was like around like 13, 14 at this time. And I was just like, this is just terrible. I need to see something else. And I walked into X-Men The Last Stand, which was playing at that time. Which, to be Ooh. fair, not a good movie, but I would still argue a more entertaining movie than this one. Yo, no, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I could have walked out, but Big John Government says I got to stay in my home. But believe me, <laughs> <laughs> I was ready, man. Probably about the same time, to be honest. Right, and you wish you could have turned it off, but I had that shot collar installed on you. Yeah. You know what, though? The fuck fucking thing about this movie, if I would have stopped it, I could almost flub like I didn't. This movie is just that vanilla of a movie. Where I could have, I could have just kind of just made up that I saw it. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a shorter bad movie segment because there's not a lot to talk about with RV. But basically, stop me if you've heard this before. So, this guy's a family man and he works a lot. And he's lost touch with his kids. Uh, specifically his daughter, who he had a real, like, father-daughter thing when they, she was younger, and now she's distant as a teenager, and he decides, like, you know what, Cheryl Hines, my wife, and somehow we produced Josh Hutcherson and JoJo, the pop star of the early 2000s. PETA, whatever the fuck. PETA, that's true, PETA from the Hunger Games movies. It's a weird Oh, family. no, I bet, I bet the company. Oh, I that's true. They, yeah, crazy. <laughs> they started PETA, that's, that's what they did. Uh... <laughs> Um, but so there, he's just like, you know what? I'm going to, instead of doing our Hawaii vacation, we're going to fly. We're going to do an old fashioned RV vacation to get the family to, you know, unite a bit more when we're on this business trip. And I work under Will Arnett, who's an asshole. Uh, but on the way, we're going to have family fun. And of course, chaos ensues from there. All the typical shenanigans from a vacation ripoff movie, including a weird family of Southern rednecks, uh, which is led by Kristen Chenoweth and Jeff Daniels. Um, that are along for the ride, and um, it is just like, I'm glad we at least chose this, because this is the perfect example of like a bad road trip comedy, because as you mentioned, it's so predictable, it like fits every single bill. I mentioned there's like a whole scene involving you know, bodily functions, waste, That that's an obvious one. Um, the, the kids end up having like a weird kind of romantic thing with like the kids in the Jeff Daniels family hijinks involving like animals that sneak onto the rv they get stuck in the rain at one point it's it's all the check marks all the stupid bullshit yeah pretty much the affable lovable buffoon dad because that's what all dads are you know he's got to get to his job run by the man child will arnett which he is so much better than this the thing is that this is the only type of works he does but like i i i'd argue anybody's like yeah well and that kind of sucks watch arrested development He's hilarious. He's also a very accomplished voiceover actor. He's he's a very talented guy. Absolutely, but I mean, he does like this. Brother Solomon, let's go to prison. That's the thing. Around this time, I get it more, because it's like, okay, Arrested Development, as critically acclaimed as it was, was not a popular show, 
And right. it was like, okay, he was still kind of coming up. The sad thing is he still kind of does this. And yeah, was like, like oh, show that... dog? Right, right, or that fucking The Lego Masters show on Fox. That show's awesome. Fuck you, that oh, okay. show's great. Okay, okay, I, I judged it. I, I didn't, no, unfairly. No, that, I did too, but it's great. Okay. You know, it's also weird with, like, Robin Williams, where despite his sort of penchant for, like, family movies, like, I, and I know obviously he was a dad in real life, Zelda Williams, obviously, he never really fit, like, typical dad to me whatsoever. Completely agree. It never feels like he has a connection with any of the kids that he's acted with. Like, it, it just doesn't come off real. And, you know, I even mentioned it on the Coppola episode. The fucking Robin Williams trying to do gangster talk stuff is the, the most unfunny, cringeworthy thing to me. It's really terrible here, too. And especially because Josh Hutchinson's whole character is that, which is super just awful. <laughs> He's a little punk-ass entitled kid. Right. I mean, that, that you know, whatever. Robin Williams doing that, or like old people skateboarding, this is fucking horrible. And this movie's full of similar type humor. And they carry every joke on for way too long. Yeah, because this movie's only about like 90 minutes long, so they have to really stretch out every single like joke possible for end time him not being able to drive the thing in the beginning he's hitting everything goes on yep. for at least three minutes too long yeah the septic tank thing is like 10 minutes yeah him riding the bike down the hill okay like for oh the, the thing keeps rolling back okay for god's sakes just nothing nothing funny so formulaic and a ripoff of infinitely better movies Barely any consideration or care is put into it. And, I, I, you know, it sucks because, as we talked about, we both really do like Men in Black. I really like Men in Black. Yeah. Did a Barry Sonnefield do the Addams Family movies as well? Yes, I definitely wanted to talk about the weird decline of Barry Sonnefield's career. So he did the two Addams oh. Family movies. He did Get Shorty and Men in Black, which are all, like, great. All four awesome. good movies. Yep. Yes. Yep. And then he had Wild Wild West, which oh. obviously terrible. Then he had uh-huh. Big Trouble, which was the Tim Allen movie, where the oh, whole thing was, it was like they sneaked uh-huh. the bomb aboard a plane, it was supposed to come out around 9-11, so then it got buried the next yeah. year. Um, then Men in Black 2, then this, then Men in Black 3 afterward, and Nine Lives is still his last feature. <laughs> Wait, Nine Lives, the Kevin Spacey thing? Right, the Kevin Spacey cat movie, which, the ca- <laughs> hot take, hot take, I would watch Nine Lives any day over this movie again, because <laughs> Nine oh, Lives is an interesting failure of a movie. Because it's just like, how the fuck did this happen? How is this a movie that exists? I, okay, I'll give you that. Like, I'd rather watch Top Dog over, you know, Turner and Hooch. Because it's right, like, but, well, but it exists. How? Well, put it this way. Like, I at least remember things from Nine Lives. I, like, I watched RV, like, maybe three or four days ago, and I can't remember a thing about it. Dude, I watched it this morning. And you can't remember a thing <laughs> about it, right? I'm really struggling. I'm like, wait, the wife. No, is she the same actress from... I can't... Like, her face. I can't even place her face. Yeah, Cheryl Hines, you might recognize from, like, Curb Your Enthusiasm. The big, she's uh-huh. uh, ex, Larry David's ex-wife. This family is so weird, like you mentioned, because it's, like, them and Josh Hutcherson or Pete of the Hunger Games movies, who's disappeared now for some reason. And then the girl was the one I was doing that with. The young girl, I'm just like, she looks so familiar. And she's JoJo, who was, like, a pop star in the early 2000s. She had, like, a hit song when she was 13. Yeah, and I don't remember the name of the song. I remember her because I remember when this movie came out. It was like JoJo in, like it was a big kind of deal that she was in it. And I remember even then thinking, who the fuck cares? <laughs> so she had, and but, to, but to say she's not the worst, like young pop star girl acting I've ever seen. Like she's not atrocious in it. She's better than like Britney Spears and like Crossroads and shit like that. 
Right, right, that's true. And uh, amongst the songs, the one I remember was Leave, Get Out. So I thought, get out, get out. Right. I don't even know that. Dude, you had that shit on rotation. <laughs> I mean, I was like her age, and my sisters had that on rotation for sure. Sure, but... yeah. Sisters. Hey. <laughs> they're, they're real. They're made out of cardboard in the corner over here. <laughs> I'm not saying they're not real. <laughs> you and your accusations. I don't buy yeah, it. For a oh, second. I got a sister. Uh huh. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway anyway. Um, also to talk about with Barry Seinfeld in terms of the direction of this movie. Um, this movie looks so garish and awful. It reminded me a lot of like the Mike Myers Cat in the Hat movie in terms of like oh. all the colors are so oversaturated and bright and awful looking. Mm-hmm. It just, it looks like the worst commercial. Oh, no, absolutely. And, like, the cinematography and everything else is so paint-by-numbers. Yeah. Like, there's no flair. There's no anything. to. I mean, arguably, the material doesn't really lend itself to have flashy camera shots or anything like that. But, yeah, it just feels stale and, like, comatose. And it's a real bummer considering Barry Sonnenfeld was a cinematographer beforehand. This is the guy who shot Raising Arizona. Oh, man, which is one of the coolest looking movies, too. Yeah. I love the damn movie. God. Yeah. You know what, though, man? The thing is, look, what what can you say, man? He probably got paid a shitload of money to do these movies. So he's like, to hell with it. And he's done some things that are pretty good since. Like, he's a big executive producer on that series Unfortunate Events show on Netflix, which I think he did a really that good job That was really with. good. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So, like, he's done a better job, like, as a producer since. And maybe that's probably where people probably lie best, I guess, at this point. Um, yeah. But, because, yeah, th- this is this is pretty bad. <laughs> this, is, just, this is bad. Yeah. Like, this is, it's, it, the thing is, it's it's boring. Even when, like, the exciting stuff is supposedly happening, it's boring. Yeah. I don't care. I've seen everything that happens in this movie. You've seen it before. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of times. Big day. Oh, he's gonna get to the meeting. Oh, wait a minute. You tell me the family was gonna go to the meeting anyways? Oh, but I can't do this anymore because my company that I work for is not a good company. Oh, we want to hire you then. Like, what the fuck? And he's gonna give this pitch meeting and he's gonna relate it back to his whole family and it's just it's so formulaic and stupid. And they want you to care. And feel something. Another problem is just that, like, you have that sort of quote-unquote conflict. And it's like, well, what's he giving this all up for in reference to his family? And his family is, like, really thin and also just terrible characters when we get to know them. Yep. Like, Cheryl Hines is just kind of, like, such a passive person as a character in this movie. Kind of like kind- a trophy wife, how she comes across. Yeah. I mean, at least, like, I don't like the Jeff Daniels, Kristen Chenoweth family. But at the very least, they have at least a more engaging, like, character to them. In terms yeah. of, like, the, they're, like, this family that's, like, very, like, uh, musical, and they are, like, really friendly to other people, almost obliviously so. And the one time I laughed, I will say, is there's a point where they get Robin Williams' laptop after it was stolen, mm-hmm. and Chris Chan was like, oh, I, I can't believe it, this is why he, they left, because they lost their laptop. And Jeff Daniels was just, like, looking into the camera as he's driving, just like, that just fills me with chagrin. <laughs> it's, like, the <laughs> one moment I kind of left. Well, you know, the thing is... It's only that, you know, they're quirky, but at least they have something. Right. Like, the, the rest of the characters are just vapid. You got you got the trophy wife, you got the spoiled kids, and you got the, the, the workaholic dad who doesn't really pay attention to his kids anymore. And they give you the first five to ten minutes to sort of make you feel like he had a prior relationship with this family. And, now, and I never got any of that. 
He doesn't want to be part of this family. It feels like he doesn't want to be part of the family. It feels like every member of this family doesn't want to be in the family. Right, but and, and that can work in a different scenario. Like uh, a, a sort of extra credit I did for this episode was I did rewatch National Lampoon's Vacation, the first oh, so one. Good. So still good. a very good movie. Yeah, I would still say prefer Christmas Vacation slightly more. Oh, yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, but I think what works about va- Vacation at its best, the first one, is that that family bickers and argues in a way that feels super authentic to any family. Like, especially, I think Chevy Chase's, like, prime comedy moment is his whole, like, well, I think you're all fucking out of your heads. Like, his whole bad <laughs> speech right before yep. they go to Wally World. I think that's perfect because it's just like, oh, that feels like the actual frustration of, like, a father trying to plan a family vacation. Or even Beverly D'Angelo still has a character at the same yep. time. It's not just her, him. And even Anthony Michael Hall, and I forgot the young actress's name who played uh, Audrey, but, like, the, that dynamic really works between those four. Because they feel mm-hmm. like a real family who, like, hates each other at times, but also does clearly, like, still have love and affection for each other. I agree, yeah. No, no, no! We're going to be the happiest bunch of assholes. <laughs> You're going to be whistling somebody do dodge your assholes. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, again, as you can tell, the sheer lack of soul in the movie that we're trying to cover. Has made us diverge to, like, remember a good road trip comedy movie? Yeah, hey, remember this movie? Hey, remember? <laughs> and the thing is, there's no consequences for anybody's no. actions. There really isn't. I was watching, and I even told my wife, I was like, you know, this movie has such a simple sort of idea that they want to set up conflict where, oh, I can't, we're going to go on an RV trip, but I can't tell my wife. If he would have literally walked in and be like, hey, if I don't go to Colorado, if I'm not there by the end of the week, I'm going to lose my job and we're fucked. She'd be like, okay, then we'll just postpone the vacation. There you go. Crisis averted. Not only is it unrealistic, uh, but it's just... It's over-convoluted as well. Yeah, yeah it's National Lampoon's Vacation, as we talked about. There's extreme circumstances in that movie, and none of it needs to happen, of course. But there's so much more to that movie that gives all of that crazy shit weight. Nothing that happens in this movie, I, I didn't care. I do not care about any character. I do not care about any situation. The only thing I thought of, I was like, Jeff Daniels' bus is kind of badass. <laughs> That's the only thing I thought of. <laughs> He's got a pretty good RV. Apparently, Jeff Daniels also a very uh, much a an RVer. Like he arrived to said in an RV. I met him once. He was really nice. Oh, really? Wow. That, that's one of the. He's one of those perfect celebrities I would want to meet because he feels not too famous to where I'd get like starstruck, but perfect enough where like, oh, I would love to at least like hang out with him briefly. Yeah. No. Definitely. Definitely. Like I, I was managing a coffee shop here in Michigan, and he came in, and he was super nice. But anyways, again, <laughs> well, before I look. Before I worked at the coffee shop, I... <laughs> <laughs> I remember that day. It was a crisp autumn morn. Smell of lilac berries in the air. Um, <laughs> we should probably do final thoughts on RV if you have any I left think, possible. It's a blank slate of a movie. Like, you're going to watch it, and when it's over, you're like, wait, wait, what did I watch? Like, you even quoting that line? I watched this today. I don't remember that. I don't remember anything. It is a blank slate of a bullshit, formulaic, stereotypical waste of a movie and waste of talent and just everything. It's just, there's nothing here for anybody. And this is definitely one of those that I throw in there with like Tun Lee movie. We watched remember that. And a couple other movies where it's like, I, you asked me in six months, Hey, have you seen RV? I'll be like, I don't know. Have I like, I'm not going to remember. Aren't you so glad that you have a historical record here on this show of you having seen RV? I don't listen to this show. 
<laughs> well, it's just here for posterity, so others will know. The aliens who take over in the far distant future will know that Adam saw RV <laughs> this particular week. But yeah, Adam said everything. It's really lame. It's really dull. It's it's like it's very typical, not just of like these bad vacation sort of movies, but also of unfortunately what Robin Williams is kind of doing at this time. Makes me even more bummed about sort of like some of his reservations he had near the end of his life about his career and shit. Um, it feels like this is like probably what was blinking in his mind in terms of like, oh man, so many regrets. And it really feels that way. It just feels like it's such a bummer to see him and all these other actors and this director and all these other things just kind of really just waste their time on something incredibly bland. But, speaking of something that isn't bland at all, uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, listen to this ad for an ESO so you can queue up right after our podcast. We are Nerdlanta. We got these filters, I think they're called pea poppers. <laughs> oh, that's, that's exciting. Peas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For, for mm-hmm. popping all the peas. Sweaty balls and pea poppers. Always is a good time. <laughs> Can a podcast be a reboot? Oh, God, Absolutely. yes. Nerdlanta Nerd 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 Yes, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. We are highly highly calculated at a late hour. You know, it's just always fun to talk about geeky stuff. And and Atlanta Atlanta is the place place to do do it. it. I guess that's it. We played the promo. That was an awesome promo. Now let's talk about our, not just good, but I would argue pretty great movie for this double feature, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. During holiday travel, some people get delirious, some get delayed, and some get Del Griffith. American Light and Fixture, Director of Sales, Shower Curtain Ring Division. Neil Page got all three. Two happy clans just whistling down the road. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones, Paramount Pictures presents Steve Martin, John Candy, in a new film by John Hughes. Planes, trains, and automobiles. So, uh, Plain Streets and Automobiles came out November 25th, 1987, and uh, was one of many films that were written and directed by John Hughes, who, this is our first John Hughes feature. How was that? How I know, in you... 103 episodes, <laughs> this is the first one, um, because uh, he was very prolific uh, during his career. I would say this is my favorite John Hughes feature, and, you know... Many of his films, despite obviously his like uh, fame for like the teen movies, like Breakfast Club mm-hmm. and some of those others, I'd argue a lot of his movies uh, don't hold up too well. Uh, no, for different reasons. I mean, some are more egregious, like a Sixteen Candles. Like Sixteen Candles is yeah, small, I mean, honestly, I think Weird Science doesn't hold up, but there's still a lot of funny in Weird Science. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is about the only Matthew Broderick movie I can stand. But then you got Jeffrey Jones in it. It's like, oh, fuck. So it's hard to watch. I mean, that one at least works because Jeffrey Jones is constantly the butt of the joke and is horribly mutilated, that whole movie. Yeah. (laughs) But I I really do. uh, This is better than Uncle Buck, but I really love Uncle Buck as well. Uncle, I did rewatch. I I I either watched for the first time or rewatched a bunch of John Hughes movies. And I would say Uncle Buck holds up better than I even remembered it. Because that that one is so endearing and so sweet and similar way to this movie. Mm-hmm. I agree, but I, would you still argue at least this is the tippy top? Oh yeah, without I mean, without question. I mean, this is this is a perfect five star movie all across the board. This is this movie is damn near perfect. And I think it's because what he really worked so well out, John Hughes was I think really getting characters who feel well established, at least like a couple or a small group, and then getting them outside their traditional element. That's what works about Breakfast Club. That's what works about Ferris Bueller. I think that's what really works here with if you're somehow not familiar with this movie, which is a shame if you aren't. 
Uh, you should definitely pause this episode and watch this movie. It's on Amazon Prime yeah, right now. Um, but basically, um, it stars Steve Martin as a guy who's like an ad executive who's in New York. Um, or he's an advertising guy, like, work, like develops designs and stuff like that. And he's in New York, and he um, is trying to get home for Thanksgiving. And it's like a couple days before Thanksgiving. And he has to like, get from New York to Chicago. And uh, he initially tries to get on the plane uh, that he was trying to do, but there was a snowstorm, so he couldn't get on. And he ends up teaming up with this uh, weird sort of traveling salesman type, uh, Del Griffith, played by the late great John Candy. Um, and they end up on a little road trip where they try, as the title says, planes, trains, and automobiles to get back to Chicago in time for Thanksgiving. And um, it's a simple premise, and it's so elegantly executed. Uh, this is one that my dad introduced me to. One of many examples of him like loving these like 80s comedies in particular. And it's it's a perfect movie, honestly, I think, because the characters of uh, Steve Martin's uh, Neil Page and then Del Griffith, the John Candy character, are so perfect as, like, opposites in a way because they feel like they're two parts of any human being. Like, you have your points where you're uh, Neil Page and you're a bit more serious and you're disgruntled by things that are going on, you're a bit upset by things that happen. And then you can be also Adele Griffith, where you're just, like, you're so warm and just, like, really taking the situ- piss out of the situation, having fun with it, and they work so perfectly off each other in this movie. It's I, I believe both of them said that this is, like, their favorite movie they ever worked on. It's, like, their best movie, and I couldn't agree with them more. Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, even to add other layers to what you just said, like, you know, the Dell character, he's, he's warm, he's kind, he's inviting, but he's also dealing with some shit, man. Like, he's got some internal shit that's dealing with, and he's putting on a happy face and trying to be, you know, everybody's friend and everything as a way of dealing with it. And when you peel back those layers, you're like, fuck, it's sad. It's depressing. But at the same time, I'm like, dude, he's just like the most likable guy maybe ever in a movie. Like John Candy's performance works so well as to like explaining why Dell has so many like different connections. It's like, oh, I know this guy. He owes me a favor, this thing, whatever. You can tell Del Griffith has lived such a life traveling that it's like, oh, of course he would like, have some kind of friends in every single state that he's been in. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there are so many so many lines and scenarios and situations from this movie that anytime I hear them or they're quoted to me or I watch it, it like instantly just takes me back to my childhood and how I would quote them with my brothers or my dad and just laugh. I mean, there's so many. This movie's just chock full of not just great one-liners, but they're one-liners that could only be said by either Steve Martin or John Candy. Uh, Yeah, I I can't agree with you more. I think this is absolutely both of their best work. Yeah, I think not to discredit also Steve Martin in it, I think does such a great job of playing a guy who, like, his surface, he could just be an asshole or a pushover, but I like the fact that he plays it in such a grounded way, where Steve Martin, obviously, at this time, was known for doing more sillier things, and this is around the time of, like, a Roxanne and some of his, like, a bit more uh, grounded characters started to come about, and I think this is a tremendous example of how so relatable he can be for, like, any given situation where things don't go his way. We've all felt like Neil, like, at some point, when we get, like, screwed oh, sure. or, like, some delay happens or whatever, um, especially at, of course, the infamous uh, car scene, the car lot scene, which is... Mm-hmm. Uh, so perfectly put together and in like a worst hands it's just like oh it's him cursing a lot but it's the way the precise precision with each fuck during that scene is mm-hmm. just a perfect material i had to earmuff that scene when i was a kid yeah. <laughs> my parents would let me watch this movie but like yeah not this scene and i had to like you know put my hands over my ears but you know you still listen and i remember that scene from when i was a kid i thought 
it was like the epitome of an adult swearing. I'm like, oh, oh. like it's still, still though. I want wipe that rosy fucking smile off those rosy fucking cheeks. You're like, oh my god, he's so mad. <laughs> it's it's perfect. It's perfect. And like the line from the beginning is probably my favorite line from the movie. You know, that line I gave you in the beginning. You know, uh, what's one thing about me you don't like? Well. You play with your balls a lot. I do not play with my balls. <laughs> it's just so fucking funny. Oh, man. You know, those heart pillows. <laughs> right. Which is a scene, like, I was worried, like, when I got back to that scene, like, that's one of my favorite scenes, and I was worried, like, is this going to feel more gay panicky? And what I like is it's a lot more just like, oh, this is just a really awkward situation between two strangers. <laughs> yeah, it's not gay panicky. The fact of the matter is, they're literally, like, spooning because they're dreaming and kissing each other on the ears and stuff. Yes. Like, it's not, I don't think it's gay panicky. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Like, yeah, wait a minute. Uh, no, I completely agree. Uh, you know, when John Candy just gives the reveal, you know, that his wife passed away and stuff, I still watch this and I'm like, oh, God. Oh, no. I, I loved her so much. I was crying oh, so much. Like, <laughs> the thing is, like, my favorite scene in the whole movie that kind of crystallizes a lot of the humor, but also the heart, is the bit where um, I, they're still in the hotel early on after the plane mm-hmm. uh, departs or whatever. Steve Martin has this whole rant that he goes on. That is so fucking funny. His whole endless thing about just like, oh my god, not everything is an anecdote. And by the way, and this is a line I still quote to this day I love so much. It's just like, if you're going to say something, have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. It's so great. But right after, like, it's a very, like, obviously, like, he's just hurling all these insults at Dell. But the way that he, Dell reacts to it and just says, like, you know what? Yeah, I talk too much. I do some stupid stuff. But, you know, um, I like me. And my wife likes me. And Steve Martin has the reaction shots. It's just like, oh, man, that was a dick. Mm-hmm. I should have been oh, yeah. that way. Yeah, you yeah. want to take a shot at me? Go ahead. I'm an easy target. I get yeah. it. Like, oh. Yeah, and it's just like even the scene where, you know, John Candy tries to sell his Casio, which is also an amazing scene. And then he's out in the car and you see it on Steve Martin's face. Like, fuck, I'm a real piece of shit. Like, he just, you know, it, 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 these two bond in such a sort of, pure but they have no choice but to sort of way and you believe every second of it that they're only bringing out you know not necessarily the best in each other but different parts of each other that they would never get to if it wasn't for the other one no right yeah i I completely agree with that there's an interesting mismatched pair and i like that they have even moments of respite where they think they're like left each other for the last time and it's just mm-hmm. like, well, even at that point, they're like, well, I'm going to kind of miss you. This is kind of fun. This is a weird, interesting experience. I like that the, that relationship really escalates the whole time to where initially it's just like, oh, this is kind of a weird, interesting, like, point in my time. This is like, going to be a fun story. And then they grow to be actual friends throughout that whole experience. It's just like, when you go through all this shit, and especially just the way that some of these situations escalate is amazing. And some of these other people that pop up, mm-hmm. like, of my side, the side characters, my favorite is obviously Dylan Baker as uh, the the guy who picks them up to go on the train. Oh my god, that is Dylan Baker. I know, he's really unrecognizable. Well, he's so young, too. Very young. And also, he looks like a fucking hick. Just like he, mm-hmm. he was swirled out of a fucking haystack. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I like him. I like, uh, you know, the even the hotel aren't. Do you have $28 and a nice watch? And did you recognize who he was? Yeah, I can't think of his name. He's the lawyer from uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. exactly. No, I have eight dollars 
and a Casio. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially the, the best thing about this is that John Candy models it on his hand. Oh, I know, he showed it across his forearm. Oh, but, um, <laughs> no, that scene always got me when I was a little, little, little fella too. With Steve Martin on the train going home, and he's laughing about some of the shit they went through and shaking his head. And then he gets to the part where he kind of, he realizes his you know John Candy's wife passed, and you're just like. He's going back for him, I think. Oh my god, he's gonna go back. (laughs) And what I found out that was so interesting was that entire climax was actually made in editing. Because originally it was going to be, Steve Martin goes on the train to his regular destination, and Dell would have, like, followed him there. But then John Hughes realized in editing, like, oh wait, that's not gonna work. So how about I edit together all these, like, reaction shots I got of Steve, and some of the other shots of the family, and some of the stuff from earlier, and then have it go back. And it's seamless it's perfect that's exactly the way they should have ended oh i'm glad they didn't make him follow him there that would have been too weird it would really creepy <laughs> just like hello hello neil i followed you here <laughs> yeah i don't like that your home is now my home neil you know what's it you know what's actually in this trunk neil it's gonna be you <laughs> yeah, he's like he's he's mr ripleying him um, <laughs> hey this is like the thanksgiving movie yeah perfect for april obviously when we're covering it but anyways, like when anybody asks, you know, a Thanksgiving movie, this, this is the one that you can pull out. And, and it's it's perfect. It is absolutely a pit perfect movie. I will say, and I don't know what it is about her because she's not terrible in it, but I do not like the actress that plays Steve Martin's wife. Some about her, I just, I can't, I don't like her. I don't know why. Uh, Lila Robbins as uh, yeah. Susan. Yeah. She's not terrible or anything. Just some about her bothers me. I think she's fine. I didn't really have any feelings either way about her. I think she's, like, serviceable in a very small part for her character. But, yeah, I really don't have any issue with this movie, honestly. It is, it's like you say, it is a perfect movie, just in terms of how things, like, go overboard. And even, like, there are points in other John Hughes movies where he goes, like, cartoony in a way that feels so disparate with what's actually, like, the actual sort of character and the drama or the comedy that's going on. Um, but this movie does that, and it never feels too much. Like, my favorite sort of, like, cartoony moment has got to be, like, when they're on the wrong way, on the road. Yes. And yes. And, like, they turn to skeletons, and John Candy's Satan at one point. <laughs> it's just, like, it's, it's it's such a interesting little bit moment that works also, because, like, there's at least a reasoning behind it from, like, the perspective of those characters, where it's, like, Steve Martin's mm-hmm. life flashing before his eyes, basically. <laughs> I know. You're going the wrong way! How the hell does he know where we're going? <laughs> it's just burned. Oh, I absolutely love that scene. That killed me when I was a kid. When Martin looks over and his John Candy is Satan. He's ah! <laughs> like it, it's so stupid. But no, I agree with you. It, it, it feels completely in place with that situation. Yeah, I, I like I said, I, and even me, you know, sort of bad mouthing the wife. That's just so I can say ah, maybe I don't like this part. But that's nothing. I mean, it's minuscule. It doesn't detract from the, anything from the movie for me at all. I mean, like I said. If I had anything like that, it's probably Matthew Lawrence's little bowl cut. What, like, why do you have a child have that bowl cut? Well, every, a lot of kids had that fucking cut. It's terrible. It's so uh, bad. <laughs> it's so bad. But uh, no, I mean, like I said, that's, that's really the only thing. I, I think this is a perfect example of a... Not only a great road trip movie, but a great character, sort of buddy character piece. A, you know, friends become enemies, enemies become friends. I'm hard pressed to find anything that 
is this same type of movie done better? It's, it's very, very, very trying to find one to the point where I can't think of one off the top of my head. No, yeah, I, I think it's just like it does it so perfectly. I think it's also because of like with the, with these kind of road trip comedies, especially, you can kind of worry about like, oh, it's just going to become like a sketch movie kind of thing. Of like, mm-hmm. here's one scenario, we go to this. Everything feels right. like it really escalates so perfectly, um, and I think it's really helped by a lot of the other supporting cast characters, like uh, Ben Stein shows up. Um, yep. at the very beginning with his dro- droning on voice. Uh, Edie McClurg is the opposite to Steve Martin in that great scene at the car lot, um, mm-hmm. who has the perfect punctuation point of that. I love the Kevin Bacon race. Right, right at the beginning of the movie, Kevin Bacon shows yep. up and steals Steve Martin's cab in a, in a really funny scene. Um, yeah, there's just like, it, it does such a perfect job, especially just getting the exhaustion of travel in particular. Like for a road trip movie, like this is the perfect one to really get you into the mindset of like, oh my God, it's so awful to travel at points where it's like getting, like there's a moment where like Steve Martin's at the plane at the airport and he hears about the plane not being able to go and John Kenny's like, hey, you want a room with me? And he looks over and he sees a guy just sleeping on the floor. That feels almost like they just shot off the cuff, and he's like, "No, I'll go. <laughs> I don't want to be here." <laughs> and it's just like that. We've all lived moments like that when flights get delayed. Oh yeah, no travel sucks. I fucking hate doing it. But uh, you know, like you said, but the the thing about this movie is, I don't know that this movie would have worked without the leads being C. Martin and John Candy. <laughs> Were you aware of the, the, the bit of trivia here? The original people who John Hughes wanted. So John Hughes no. originally wanted as Neil. Um, he wanted uh, Tom Hanks, who probably would have been good. But but at, the, but at this particular time, also this is pre Big. I don't think it quite would have worked because he would have been too young. A little too young. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then as Dell, brace yourself, Adam. He originally wanted John Travolta. Oh no! <laughs> what? <laughs> this oh is... no! <laughs> it works so much better with John Candy. Not even because he's John Candy, but as a bigger, sort of huskier. You know, looks like he's from Chicago sort of guy. Travolta? Oh, could you imagine? Oh, Especially God. of this era, it really wouldn't have worked. Oh, no. Yeah, Tommy, where's your hand? <laughs> it's between two pillows. <laughs> oh, those aren't pillows. I know. <laughs> I couldn't. Oh, God, Travolta? What the fuck? Oh, my God. That just blew my mind. I never knew that. I know, oh no. Like I thought when you oh Jesus. When you're like prepare yourself, I expected something kind of like you know, like he would have wanted Dennis Hopper. And I'd be like, What? Like that's <laughs> Dennis Hopper, that's fucking wild. Travolta's the worst decision. <laughs> well, especially because like, you mentioned Jack we we've talked about John Candy a couple times on this show, but this is really I think his best work to me because it has like all of like the great one-liner jokes you're talking about, but also just, like, a consistency of character. Like, even as far back as, like, his SCTV days, the best thing about Candy, even in, like, horror movies, is his dedication to his characters. Like, this what always works so perfectly, and you feel like this guy just exists with Del Griffith. Like, especially the whole bit where he's selling off his shower rings and he has so many different stupid bullshit stories. I'm like, ah, oh, this is Egyptian ivory um, from uh, King Solomon's mind or whatever the fuck to like some random person at the fucking uh, bus station and he ends up getting cash. Like you see, oh, okay, this guy isn't just an inept idiot. He's a good salesman. Even if he has to like lie and cheat and do other shit, he is an, like a, a guy who's a smooth talker. No, I completely agree. Uh, this is probably also my favorite candy. I, I don't know. I really do like Uncle Buck a lot and I really like him in that. But yeah, he, he fits the this character 
perfect where you know him being sort of the chubby schlubby looking guy almost makes sense as to why he'd be such a good salesman because you're like oh this guy like he, he's just so kind and warm i think it's also the mustache i love that goddamn mustache and he never really had a mustache in other like things this is like his only facial hair really i can remember uh yeah the only time is weirdly in one of his few dramatic roles in jfk when he had the full beard which is just really weird oh it was really bizarre yeah <laughs> did he have a mustache he didn't have a mustache in home alone did he no he didn't no, he did not. No, he was mostly clean-shaven. Well, it made sense because he's out of a polka band, but still, I absolutely love this movie. It, it cripples me at the end every time, though. And it, it feels so earned in a way that, like, you mm-hmm. know, it, it it could be schmaltzing in lesser hands, especially, like, say, if it's Tom Hanks and John Travolta coming up with the, that fucking luggage, it wouldn't have worked whatsoever. No, um, yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you. It doesn't feel like they're... They're not trying to make you cry or make you get emotional. It, it's absolutely earned as far as the character arc. And I know this sounds bad because the guy did die. Furious 7 the Paul with Paul Walker. Like, all of a sudden, you're like, okay. Like, they're really laying it on thick to try to get you sad. That would have worked a lot better if they just made that the final Fast movie. Like, they probably should have been right A thousand percent. And it, it, to be honest with you, I think you're 100% right. It, because I, I did watch... Um, Fast 8 the night before, and then I watched Furious 7, and I'm like, well, I don't really care. Like, it doesn't it doesn't hold up, that sort of ending at all, except for that fucking Wiz Khalifa song. You motherfuckers. But, um, <laughs> it's been a long day without you, my friend. Come on. I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely agree. Any, any tear you shed at Planes, Trains, and Automobiles was absolutely earned. It's absolutely what you should do. The characters in this movie are so expertly written and acted. The arcs they go through, the dynamics that they have together, uh, their backstories, the tragedy, the laughs, the love, it, it all gets you to that place. And I'd argue any one of those things could get you there. But they, they expertly do all of it. Uh, so yeah, it's 100% earned. The emotion in this movie is 100% earned. Yeah, uh, I mean, those sound like pretty good final thoughts, unless you have anything else to add. Well, I hate this movie. <laughs> right, it's a terrible movie. One of the worst we've ever seen. <laughs> One of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. It's a perfect time capsule of a comedy uh, from this era, a perfect John Hughes movie, and a never better Steve Martin or John Candy. So, I mean, if you haven't seen this, first of all, you, then you uh, I don't know why you're listening to the show. Uh, or why you can say you like movies. You have to see this. You have to see this movie. Yeah, and um, also another just factor that we haven't even mentioned that much. Uh, I really love the soundtrack of this movie too. It's so good. Yeah, particularly the the the, uh, the weird like uh, Casio keyboard version of Red River Valley <laughs> that plays anytime. John Candy when he's when Steve Martin's sleeping and he's like he's playing the fucking piano on the dashboard. And smoking at the same time. and It's the most dangerous looking thing. And it just kills me every time. Because he is just into it. Playing the saxophone. Everything else. It's just, it's the best. And then leading, of course, to that great bit where they like turn around and he nearly kills him. He's just like, oh yeah, we almost hit a deer. Oh, we'll make sure you yeah. don't do it next time. Yeah, I'll, I'll make sure not to. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously agree with everything Adam said. I think it is a perfect road trip movie. It's very uh, much a time capsule, I agree, but also in a weird way does feel timeless in terms of, like I said, with a lot of other John Hughes movies, I feel like they kind of feel stuck in a particular time, and more importantly, with like particular kinds of characters and attitudes, where like 
the, the offensive stuff that happens in any of those movies, I feel like, holds up less because it's based in like, oh, let's just do a joke about how someone's a stereotype. Or how somebody is in a compromising situation. Like, I think Sixteen Candles is full of that. Like, with a long duck dong. And I think Michael Hall's character and the horrible things he does to that fucking passed out person. Problem. Oh, it's so problematic. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, and also, but also just, like, not mean-spirited and unfunny in that way. Where even at the time, it would just be like, this just feels, like, mean to people. <laughs> in a way that just doesn't really hold up as nearly well. It's like, this movie, where people are able to be mean. Like, Steve Martin is, like, he yells at John Candy all the time. But it feels like it comes from an actual human place that isn't, like, malicious necessarily as much. It's just frustrated. And that sort of frustration that grows into, like, acceptance and so a bit of regret and realizing about like you know what we're just like two people stuck in a similar shitty situation um we should definitely try and like make this go as smoothly as possible only to realize later that like oh i'm even in a i'm in a much better situation than this guy with his poor like backstory and all this other stuff it makes all the comedy have like a great spine that just makes it all just play beautifully and it is it's definitely my favorite john candy it's one of my favorite steve martins it's it's a beautiful little movie that um is it's practically perfect in every way uh that is the end of our discussion for our two features for the evening and uh before we go we have some feedback to read because at dedb pod where we ask you about your favorite and least favorite things related to whatever genre we're doing whatever films uh we uh put up that feeler for road trip movies and uh and so uh, we have some feedback from all of you to read about your favorite and least favorite road movies uh first off we got james rodriguez who says Thumb and Louise is a highlight from Ridley Scott, led by a pair of exceptional performances. Uh, Joyride is a tense feature starring Paul Walker and Steve Zahn. Feels like a better version of Jeepers Creepers. Uh, Magic Mike XXL is a superb sequel that focuses on the fun over characters um, and knocks it out of the park in both regards. And uh, Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, is a feel-good film about acceptance and loving each other, packed with genuine emotion and laugh-out-loud humor. Then there's the toxicity of Dirty Grandpa. I welcomed a third-act twist where all of the awful characters have been devoured by zombies. Brian Kane says, Unforgiven is a bleak road trip into the depths of the human condition. Logan might be the best comic book movie ever made. And Jeepers Creepers was a bad but fun early 2000s horror full of uh, genre trappings. Jeff Fernandez says The Forsaken is one of his favorites. Uh, Oliver Sloan says Best, Race with the Devil, Worst, uh, Need for Speed, Guilty Pleasure, Drive Angry. Um, Eric Avon says Among the Best, The Hitcher, Duel, Road Games, and Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Um, and uh, Josh Rioke's Best, The Hills Have Eyes, because it's all about the friends you make along the way. I agree with most of James's. I, I do think Thelma Louise is a, quite a great movie. I do really enjoy Joyride. I think Magic Mike XXL is a very, very uh, mediocre sequel. And uh, Tu Wong Fu, I, when I first saw it, I really did like it. Because, uh, you know, when I was a kid, it was a novelty of Patrick Swayze and Wesley Snipes in a dress. And then who's this John Leguizamo guy? But now I, I find it forced and phony. Like, I, I get what they're going for. And I think it is a sort of a heartfelt message. But it also comes across made by someone who has no idea what they're making, if that makes sense. I mean, I've never seen it. I mean, it's okay. The Forsaken, you know, I watched that again the other night. I think there's a lot of good ideas in there. I just think it's very poorly executed. To to go back to your Magic Mike XXL thing, I do agree. I prefer the first Magic Mike, but I give credit to the second one for very much like saying, hey, 
we're not going to try and do the first movie again. If anything, we're going to give, I guess, people the movie they sort of wanted when they saw the first Magic Mike, which was a lot more of like a fun comedy of sorts. Because if you've ever not, if you've not seen the Magic Mike, um, sort of the, despite the reputation of like, oh, it's the male stripper movie, it's like wild and crazy. It's a very depressing movie <laughs> about actually living mm-hmm. that existence by Steven Soderbergh. Um, and then the sequel, it's basically like the Muppet movie with male strippers. Yeah, pretty much. I will give it also, I think, the, the Joe Maganello sequence where he's uh, stripping to the Backstreet Boys song is yeah. pretty goddamn fun. That, that's just like... A, a it, is, when he's in the gas station or whatever? Yes, yes. Yeah. But, you know, other than that, eh, eh. And you and I have made our uh, opinions on The Hills Have Eyes known, I think, several times. We're both like, eh, it's okay. It has its place in time. Um, and yeah. it's been surpassed many times over. I, and I, that's one of the few where I'd argue the remake is better, and that's not saying a lot, because I think the remake is very problematic and, frankly, disturbing in parts, but I think it's better. To, to go back to the Thelma and Louise thing, though, I really agree with that, but it's also so weird, like, I always forget that's a Ridley Scott movie. Like, it has too much humanity to be a Ridley Scott movie. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I absolutely think that's true. Yeah, I, I absolutely always forget that, too. I really, really do. Yeah, but it's it's such a great fucking movie. Um, especially like, like it's one of those movies too, where like, I hadn't seen it until like a couple years ago and I was like, Oh, have I been like spoiled? Cause like, I've heard how many people fucking parody that ending of that movie. Um, mm-hmm. and no, it still works great in context. It's still a great ending. Still a great movie. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, what are some other ones maybe that weren't mentioned at? Oh man. Well, I had shit right off the top of my head. I, you know, I would see my alternate big wild hogs is really bad road trip. The, you know, the actual movie road trip is really, really bad. From Academy Award-nominated director Todd Phillips, said, <laughs> oh, I know. What the fuck? Yeah, no, that's that's really bad. There's a lot of problems about that. In a similar vein, in terms of badness in Todd Phillips, uh, Due Date. I hate Due Date. Oh, that's due, really bad, too. Due Date is like the anti-Plane Strays and Automobiles. Due Date is like all the worst-case scenarios, and it feels kind of like it's it's intentionally like mean-spirited from Todd Phillips, but like, oh, this is what a real Plane Strays and Automobiles would be like. It's like, great, they're both awful people. Euro trip, Jesus. Is Euro trip the one with Scotty doesn't know though? Yeah, yeah, it's the only good part about that movie, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like honest. Uh, but no, uh, some of the best, you know, because now you got me. I, I really do like Little Miss Sunshine. That is a blind spot. I've never seen Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, it's it's well, I don't know how it holds up. I only saw it when it came out, but I really liked it. Okay. Uh, the Motorcycle Diaries, I really loved. In fact, that was probably my favorite movie of the year it came out. I want to say it was like two thousand five or six. Uh, Midnight Run is really good. Oh, Midnight Run was one I was really thinking about doing as an alternate. Oh, so good. Such a great fucking movie. (laughs) I still like Tommy Boy, you know, even though it's problematic, but it's still never never better Chris Farley as far as movie form. Uh, And then one of the ones I just recently watched, uh, because I hadn't seen it yet, was uh, Nebraska. Right, yeah, the Alexander Payne movie, yeah. I really, really enjoyed that movie. Pretty good movie, yeah. Bruce Stern's very good. And I would also say, like, we... It was my alternate choice, and it was one that I would hope to cover at some point now that it's potentially, like, a redemption choice. Uh, the original Muppet movie is such a great road movie. Not just a great Muppet movie. Oh, it's fantastic. But, like, the, the, the fucking bit where Fozzie does the um, patriotism swells in the heart of the American bear. Bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> where he just does the Pledge of Allegiance is amazing, and just it leads up to... The, the ending of that movie is one of my favorite just film endings of all time. The whole Rainbow Connection reprise thing is so beautiful absolutely i remember as a kid there was two things that made me cry like literally without a doubt one was 
Snuffleupagus and follow that bird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where he's waving up at Big Bird when he's in the plane. Right. And he's like, bye, bird. <laughs> I was so sad. And then, and then the other one is Sweetums in the Muppet movie. Wait, you left me. I want to go to Hollywood. I felt so bad for Sweetums. <laughs> like, I was like, he wants to go. He's not a bad monster. It's like, it's okay. He ends up at the theater at the end. It's all great. At all the end, friends. I know, but at the time, I, dude, I was a wreck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, dude, I fucking got to follow that bird with Big Bird's blue singing. Oh, oh I'm a blue bird. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think I'm about to cry now. Fuck. <laughs> Oh, and that was one of my favorite sort of like weird introspective moments with the Muppets where Kermit talks to himself in the desert. Oh, I love uh-huh. that bit so much. That that just is like that's everything I love about Jim Henson in a weird way where it's just like it's something very simple but it says so much. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, and then I mean uh, the the vacation movies obviously we mentioned, uh the the original and weirdly my favorite Christmas vacation is the one that's not a road trip movie. Yeah. 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 Well actually it is the only one that's not. Right, yeah, because uh Vegas vacation, European vacation. And even the awful one with Ed Helms that came out. I did not see that one. It's better than Vegas vacation, to be honest. That's that's, that's such a low bar. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, is it better than um, the one that is a road trip movie that's technically connected to National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2? Because then he's Hawaiian vacation. I never watched that one. I, 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 I won't do it to myself, but there's also National Lampoon's Senior Trip. Is that connected, though? Is that part of the, the continuity? <laughs> well, it's a National Lampoon. That's the only way it's connected. National Lampoon Senior Trip, the main star is a young Jeremy Renner. Oh. Oh, boy. I mean, he never went anywhere higher than that. It was just like his peak. You know what, though, man? The most he ever made me laugh was in Avengers Endgame. Uh, did we talk about this? I think we talked about this. I don't think we've talked about this on mic, but yeah. About uh, on the... mic. Uh, you want to but... go? You go ahead and you get it. <laughs> Like, you, you grabbed your hammer and you get it. Like, you shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. First of all, the worst emotion ever. Second of all, you're yelling at Thor. What are you going to do? You don't even have your bow with you. You're so fucked. I mean, to be fair, like the whole, that whole bit, I'm just waiting for like Holt to say, wrong human dad. <laughs> yeah, <fuck> exactly. <laughs> Oh. Oh. Uh, we're both laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we laugh to hide the pain. Uh, but thank you all for all that feedback. And we also want to thank uh, people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. You can find more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show as well. And you can uh, find us on at DEDBpod. That's where you put the questionnaire about, hey, favorite and least favorite movies related to whatever topic we're doing every Monday. And uh, you can email us uh, at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com. All spelled out there. I have my own individual musings at not the who's Tommy on Twitter and Instagram and such. You know, I also do writing at marianithomas.wordpress.com for like movie reviews and stuff. I put out my first review in a while, Trolls World Tour, up there. I'm probably going to try and do more reviews as I'm stuck in quarantine. Um, and uh, I also do some writing at truesuperherofans.com where we do satirical superhero movie news. And uh, you can hear both Adam and I, not just on this show, but also on a friend of the show, Scott Crawford's podcast, Friday Nightmares, uh, where we do a bunch of recastings for movies. Yeah, like a little silly bonus episode. Yeah, it was fun, though. It was fun. Uh, You know, you get to hear um, all of Adam's interesting choices and my choices that make him tear up his choices. 
Sure, a lot of a lot of vibrating phones and squeaking doors and coughs too. <laughs> Uh, and uh, for more fun banter and laughing like this, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on the ESO network, why not dig into the archives of our Podbean channel or even just on ESO, all the other great shows that are there. And if you could, just please uh, rate, review, or even just share the show around. We would greatly appreciate it because that gives us more visibility. Absolutely. And, you know, even just just listen to, to it. What the fuck else you got going on right now? You know, I just love how open you are to our fans and so warm and gentle. You're a real... Wait a second. Wait a second. For like the past fucking four episodes, I've been really nice at the end. Yeah, and now it's like I'm past that shit. (laughs) That's a good point. Like four out of like a hundred episodes. That's great. Yeah, dude. I mean, hey, whoa. Hey, chief. (laughs) That's a lot for me. You know, (laughs) I'm being cynical for four episodes, especially during right now. Come on, man. Yeah, that shit hurt. I was bleeding from my eyeballs. <laughs> well, before you uh, bleed your retinas to death, uh, we do have some picking to do, Adam. And uh, unfortunately, this is we hate kind of doing this to some degree because uh, it's we're we're talking about another person that's passed. Interestingly, though, this is the first time we've covered a director who's recently passed. Yeah. Um, and it was one that we had to stop at attention for. Like, yeah, we got to do this. Uh, recently, we lost the great. Seward Gordon, who did a bunch of great cult films in the 80s and into the 90s, um, and we're both big fans, so I think, Adam, it's safe to say you're the huger fan. Uh, I mean, I, you know, maybe. Uh, the, the thing is, well, A, he's one of my, made one of my favorite uh, genre movies of all time that we've covered on the show, uh, Dagon, in our water monster episodes, or whatever the hell we called it at the time, <laughs> sea creature episodes. or Sea creature uh, double feature. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> no, but the thing is, uh, he's responsible for making me love the horror genre. Uh, because before I saw Reanimator, horror movies did nothing but scare me. I mean, they scared the piss out of me. But then when I saw Reanimator, I really, like, sort of gleamed the humor of it and the fun of it. And sort of notice the effects a little more because it was a little bit lower of a budget and I was a little bit older when I saw it. So I got to appreciate it a little bit more and then I just swallowed up anything I could find, especially Stuart Gordon or Jeffrey Combs and, of course, Barbara Crampton as well. So, yeah, I mean, Stuart Gordon is single-handedly responsible for me being a horror movie fan. There's no question. See, which is why I would say you're the bigger fan necessarily because I didn't discover Reanimator or his films until college. Well, no, that makes sense, but we're also yeah. 10 years apart. I mean... Right, 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 right. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, but I'm still a pretty big fan of the the ones that I've seen of his, um, especially like we, we mentioned Reanimator from Beyond, which I don't know, those might be ones we discuss, uh, because you have the two good picks, Adam, I and I have the two bad, and we've assigned both of ours number between 1 and 10, so now the other will pick number between 1 and 10, and whichever that gets closest to of the other two's picks ends up being our good and our bad pick. So, Adam, for your two good choices, I'm going to pick number seven. At number eight, I have the aforementioned From Beyond. Great! That's a great one. That's my second favorite Dexa Reanimator, but still great. Yeah, right. I, I mean, God, it's, it's probably my second or third. I absolutely love that movie. And at number two, I have one that I haven't seen, actually, but you and I have discussed, uh, Stuck. Oh, yeah, Stuck's great. Very underrated. 
Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. I, it's just because I don't like Mina Savari in Dreadlocks. I, I just something about it. I can't. I don't know if I can do it. Well, I'm glad we won with a surefire bet then with From Beyond. That shallow, super shallow. I know, <laughs> but still, you fuck. never. Uh, no, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> well, Adam, for my two bad choices now, and keep. I want to say before you do your picking that this was a bit difficult in terms of what I've seen of Seward Gorn, at least. Like, even at his worst, he was always kind of charming. And one of my picks in particular is one that's kind of, like, guilty pleasure in a way that's just, like, it's it's pretty fun, despite admittingly being kind of schlocky. Well, yeah, I mean, even piggyback off that, when I had to pick my good choices, for some reason I told myself, well, obviously we couldn't pick Dagon. And I, and I told myself, I don't want to pick Reanimator because it's been talked about a lot. So I wanted to maybe go something else. But it was, like, I had a wealth of movies I could pick from because I genuinely kind of like all of his movies for other reasons or, you know. Uh, but for yours, uh, uh, fuck. You went high on mine, so I'll go four on yours. All right. And number three is a movie I think we've wanted to cover on the show for a very long time and is um, a seminal example of uh, films from the Charles Band Full Moon Entertainment. It is Castle Freak. We're doing it. <laughs> oh yeah, I fucking love Castle Freak. Ah, I, I might be pushing. I'm very fascinated by Castle Freak. That's a good. That's a good uh, barometer. Yes, a very fascinating film on so many levels. <laughs> um, and then at number eight, I had uh, his remake of uh, The Pit and the Pendulum with the uh, oh uh, with Combs. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. They were okay. That would probably if I had to pick one of the bad ones, that'd probably been one of my bad ones. Absolutely. But fuck it, we're doing Castle Freak and From Beyond. This is gonna be great, Adam. I can't wait. It's a damn good episode. Hell yeah. Yes, so on that note, I think it's time we uh, travel to that episode. Let's get in the car and go. Okay. I hope you're paying for everything. (laughs) Well, I assume because I mean your your card was in the car and it's on fire now. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Good night. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.